It'd be like if uh, we felt the need every two or three minutes to say, I mean, if this was a question that could be answered or that we had the answers to, that'd be okay, but it's probably going to be staying unanswered. If we did it every two minutes, that'd just be too much, wouldn't it? Potentially, it would even be tiresome if there was like a formal intro at the beginning. Hello and welcome to Unanswered, the show where we take a topic and don't answer it. (laughs) That'd be like the news quiz. Uh, We'd have to have Chris Addison, maybe Richard Herring on the panel. It'd have to be a panel. (laughs) And I don't think either of us would be qualified to present it. Maybe you could sell the format, though. Well, I mean, given the the amount of listeners we get, I'd probably get 50 pence for it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Have you gone over to your master computer? Do you have a special computer you have to go to Wikipedia on? Yeah, it's for security reasons. Uh, I have to have a separate Wikipedia computer. (laughs) Just, you know, in case I'm searching Wikipedia for uh, pressure cookers or or backpacks. (laughs) Okay, have we already started? Not really. It was, that was more shop talk. Preamble, that was inside baseball. It was a bit, it was a bit. Not ping pong, just inside baseball. We don't really, uh, inside rounders, I suppose. Inside cricket. Inside British Bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that fits. That fits the best, I think. What specifies British? I, I get the feeling that at some point in the past, someone tried to explain to me the difference between British Bulldog and other versions of Bulldog. And I think the suggestion was that British Bulldog just means they get to beat me up more. But are there different sorts of Bulldog? Is there British Bulldog and Filthy Foreigner Bulldog? I think they're the only two distinctions, yes. Right. British Bulldog, Filthy Foreigner Bulldog and No Bulldog. Because <laughs> bulldogs, by definition, are, are pretty British anyway, aren't they? Well, I don't know. Are they? I don't know. You know, someone who must have had very poor eyesight or who was incredibly drunk thought Winston Churchill looked like a British bulldog or looked like a bulldog, and then it became a British bulldog because of reasons. I don't know. It bears a lot. It bears almost no relation to a wolf. Let's put it that way. Like maybe some cartoonist or caricaturist or something wanted to have a bit of a pop at Winston Churchill, thought he has some characteristics in common with a dog, he barks or something, drew a picture of him as a dog. For all I know, the bulldog as a breed is based on Winston Churchill and not the other way around. I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions on the man, but I mean, it wouldn't have happened because Winston Churchill used to have sex with dogs. No, no. Good. I don't want to be barking up the wrong yew tree. (laughs) Barking up the wrong uterus, more like. (laughs) (laughs) Unanswered. It's show 15. It's time to talk about privacy. For some reason, um, 15 equals privacy. I don't know why. I can see that. It's the magic number of of privacy. I believe it is, yeah. 15 is the magic number. (laughs) That would be a long song, wouldn't it? Um, Yeah. (laughs) And quite incomprehensible. (laughs) So, privacy. I love these bits. What, the pause? (laughs) The the bits where we find our way into the subject. Yeah, exactly. Um, This is an issue or this is an area that has become quite significant, quite relevant and well discussed in certain circles at least um, because of maybe two or three big reasons. Uh, One of those in the United Kingdom would be the case of the Levinson Inquiry, which uh, started way back in um, 
late 2011, uh, which was about um, the ethics and culture of the press, their relationship to the police, their relationship to politicians. A lot of that was brought up by the um, phone hacking scandals, which were swimming around for a while. And it was about, you know, hacking the uh, voicemail on mobile phones of members of the royal family or or staff related to the royal family, and also various um, celebrities, inverted comma, people who have become famous for their job. But uh, only really seemed to tip into kind of the public consciousness once it started to be what we would consider to be normal citizens, family members um, related to victims of crime. That then begat a quite long um, investigation of which I followed quite closely. I didn't take notes, so I'm not going to be able to recall anything amazing, but um, the general feeling is is that there was a lot of kind of sketchy stuff happening. And not necessarily always a recollection, a recollection of events, but as much to do with the attitudes of people in the press, whether they were the proprietors of the newspapers or, or journalists or commentators, that sort of thing, where they felt privacy had levels, that we weren't all treated equal on this front. So there are things that I'd like to go into later on, but also um, the question of online privacy. Again, it's not something that you and I would have had to have thought about even 10 years ago, but the question of what we should and should not share online is becoming a bigger issue because it can have consequences in a way that we didn't imagine or, or anticipate. But before we get to any of that, we need to focus on what privacy means to us um, in our kind of immediate surroundings, if you like. And um, so I can catch a breath and take a sip of water. I'll let you start. Oh, OK. I mean, I, t- I tend to think of it as I'm very aware that it's not the biggest concern to me in that I tend to overshare. It's a joke I tell myself a lot and, and have a little uh, wry chuckle at, that I've basically made myself unemployable <laughs> in terms in terms of my Twitter feed in the if all employers now do a search for a person's name um which we are told they do um although how they have the time to do it when they're getting 700 people applying for every single job then i'm probably screwed because i haven't made it difficult to find out who i am so uh, it's it's not something i think about too much but if i did think about it i have an expectation of privacy and that is i get to share what i want with the world there's a certain amount of transparency to what happens to that information once it leaves me. But the main thing, the main place where I really start to value my privacy now is more about personal space than anything else. It's not so much what happens to the information about me that goes out there. It's how much the outside world intrudes on me, how okay the outside world thinks it is with knocking on my door to try and sell me something or yeah. standing in my way on the street to try and sell me something, which I, which I saw someone doing to someone else today in a really sort of inappropriate way. And that's weird because it all starts to get a bit muddy there because I'm that's an expectation of a certain sort of privacy, but in a shared public space. There's a level at which I'm happy with the world taking my data and there's a level with which I'm happy with the world intruding on me. But once it starts getting a bit deeper once it starts asking me to write my name on a piece of paper or it starts taking my information and trying to find out more about me than I've given away. You see, I mean, the thing is, I'm starting to consider this a little bit more because I'm already being... Ca- I've actually made the decision over the last couple of days. I don't talk about it a lot, but, yeah, we, we've got a baby boy. 
I've been taking lots of pictures of him. I've been trying not to be boring about it. I haven't posted lots of pictures of him on Twitter. That's not really about privacy. That's about what I think Twitter is for. But I have been posting pictures on Facebook because that's where people have been asking. And I made a decision, and it seems like a really ridiculous decision at this point in his life. I honestly would have thought you were nuts if you said I'd give a shit about this six months ago. But, like, there are baby pictures of him, but there aren't, like, naked baby pictures of him and stuff like that. Because I figure, okay, most people, when they get to about 16, 17, they're going to be a bit embarrassed to baby pictures. It sounds ridiculous even saying this. You can see I'm still evolving into this position. Yes. I'm happy to share information about me, but there's a certain level to which I'll be careful about sharing information about the people around me. Well, yeah, of course. Specifically in terms of your newborn, Noah, Mm -hmm. I believe that's publicly available information. So I have have said that. I'm not breaching his privacy. You raise an interesting point there in the respect that from friends and families and even acquaintances, there is when a newborn arrives, a kind of a demand for content mm-hmm. they're happy for you and and maybe even live vicariously through a little bit of that whether they're parents themselves or not because you're their friend and they have an interest in in your well-being from, from both sides from your side there is a pride in what you've achieved if that doesn't mm-hmm. sound too clinical oh yeah i did loads and you want to share that with people who you care about and plus there is that demand and people want to see that and be involved and play a part in it And that is the great thing about specifically Facebook in this case, which is almost custom made for this sort of stuff as a mix of personal journal and family album. But you've you've already found yourself thinking, well, what is appropriate? Because this is actually being published, what do I feel is appropriate? And while there isn't necessarily anything that harmful in a picture of a naked baby, the context makes the world of difference. Now, I know that there will be several photographs of me in the nude at various stages in my childhood, because parents just take those sorts of pictures. And you're a nude model for a lot of that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't see any of the proceeds of it, unfortunately, but... (laughs) um, But I put my all into every session. Um, And I can look back at that now and not feel embarrassed about it. I think maybe when I was in my late teens, I would have, you know, oh my God, someone's looking at my tiny four-year-old penis. Obviously, when I was four years old. Um, But yeah, and feeling a little bit embarrassed about that. But the context is very different because these were, yeah, okay, so whoever was in the branch of Parker's or Boots or whoever developed the photographs would have also seen it. But you knew that there was a limited audience because you physically had the photograph whether you kept it in a wallet or in in an album and you could just share it and that was the end of it. Maybe in those contexts, because you know it's not necessarily a stranger or or a distant acquaintance that's gaining access to these pictures, you don't mind showing it to a few people. Whereas there is that risk. I mean, not saying that anyone's going to be copying, you know, any of the photographs of your naked baby and storing them for their own edification. But you've cast a much wider net. And even though that you know that you're sharing it with a limited group of people, you've probably got some private settings on your Facebook account for this sort of thing. The fact is that you've sort of entrusted it to a corporation to act in your best interest. And that is where those sort of question marks start appearing. Absolutely. I think I'm almost more careful what I say about my wife on places like Facebook, because 
I am comfortable with taking the risk with sharing information about me. Of course, yeah. Mainly because I, I don't see any of that data as being particularly important. And maybe that's a failure. Maybe I should take myself a bit more seriously. But she's made a conscious decision not to go on to these places. So I'm quite careful about it. And I've actually even put noses out of joint with family members when I feel they've posted photos. Not any of the nude photos of Amy. Oh, God, no. No, because those are all very tasteful. Of course. But when people have posted pictures and I'm like, well, you didn't ask anyone's permission before posting that. And that's a little bit off. There's a balance that a lot of people seem to go over the edge of between being careful about what you share, just because you want to be careful about what you share with the world anyway, and being absolutely neurotic about it. And the thing I'm not worried about, and I often think I should maybe be more worried about, I'm not that worried about all the data being out there. What I'm worried about is inappropriate uses of it. I don't have a problem with the world knowing the different things I'm into. What I don't want is for then people to start coming around and trying to sell me stuff based on something I said on Twitter months ago. Or it's the intrusion that bothers me, not just the fact that data's out there. For two reasons, really. The first one is I've always kind of assumed there's more data out there than... I can't think about all of the different little bits of data there are about me out there because I've always just assumed there's loads of it anyway. It's not that I like the idea that we're all leaving this trail around us, but I'm conscious that it's there. I almost find it reassuring in some ways. But at the same time, I do not have that much confidence in the ability of governments and corporations to actually do anything meaningful with any of that information anyway, or particularly sinister. A lot of the paranoia seems to come from, well, but what's the government going to do with that information about me? And it's not like I honestly do not subscribe to the idea, if you've not done anything wrong, you've got nothing to hide, so you shouldn't be scared. I think that's nonsense. But at the same time, I've never been that convinced that they really know how to process all of the data they've got in any meaningful way. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. I think once the government is presented with the true cost of going through all of the data with a fine-tooth comb, they're going to very quickly realise that they're really not interested in a great deal of it. That's always a concern. It's like, oh my God, you know, there's this absolute wealth of data out there about us, more than we could ever possibly imagine. It's like, well, it's still going to take a human being, even if a piece of software is going through and tying all the loose ends together, it's still going to take a human being to decide whether that's pertinent or not. You know, there's going to be a whole little, you know, pieces of information about you out there that just aren't pertinent, aren't relevant, not to a government, not to someone who decides whether you're going to be in prison or not. To a marketer, absolutely. They'd want to know everything about you and that a government wouldn't really care for. My bigger issue is definitely more about intelligence using the information about us than about how they gather it. Like, the thing that triggered off the Levinson inquiry, the big thing that triggered it was the case of the parents of the murder victim. Yeah, Millie Dowler. Which, the actual phone tapping, I thought, well, that's a bit creepy. Well, the access is illegal. Well, I mean, we already have laws in place to do stuff about that, yeah. But I find that creepy, and I think there's something seriously broken in our society that that would seem to be a worthwhile pastime for our media to actually take part in. And it isn't just the media that are complicit in that. I think we know where I fall on this. I'm like, we're all kind of complicit in this stuff, Hmm. although we're not all actually doing it, you know. But But that they actually then use that information to really seriously fuck with people's lives... That's the real problem for me. The information itself is neutral until someone does something malignant with it, as far as I'm concerned. The biggest problem with our press, and I think with our government and 
our like arguably our other authorities is we can't really trust them to end with facebook and probably with Google. The jury is always out on Google, and probably Apple, and definitely Microsoft. We can't necessarily trust them to do the right thing with our information. And we decided that we were okay with that when we started, you know, there is, a, to a certain extent, the minute we started making more information about ourselves available online, we let that genie out of the bottle ourselves, really. Before we move into anything in any kind of particular area, even though we've sort of dusted each and every one, to nail down privacy, I would distill it into it's basically my business until I decide to share it with you. Yeah. Clearly, that very basic definition doesn't exist. It can't exist because as soon as you exit your own living space where other people generally aren't in, they don't have the permission to be there or they don't even know that you're there. As soon as you leave your house and walk to work, for example, you're in a public space. Even if you are going about your business and no one you know is near you, anybody who sees you, they don't know your name, they don't know where you live, they don't know where you work, but they can see that you are doing something. So straight away you're in a public space and your activity is known. Mm. We don't think about that though. None of us do because it's not important. We don't feel like it's particularly pertinent. It might become pertinent in very specific cases. If there was um, someone stalking us, for example, then that does become incredibly sensitive information. Okay, right. If someone's stalking you and you don't know about it, then you wouldn't know to withhold that information from them. Yeah. But if you did, then you would feel very differently about an activity that you had done without really much thought beforehand. I don't want to get into um, hypothetical examples that are all really creepy (laughs) and result in invasions of personal space. But how much detail are you going to go into when you're doing the tagging and SEO and stuff for this episode? Because like surveillance, Tesco's, bombs, if you keyword this too much, we could be in trouble. Mm. On the flip side, we'll have the most listeners we've ever had. That's true, yeah. I kind of look at it as an overall benefit. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. There's a silver lining always, isn't there? Especially if someone in GCHQ really likes it and becomes a regular listener. So, I don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. And if it involves the GCHQ, then it's definitely going to involve the NSA, in which case we'll get a bigger following in America. I see this as win-win. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be right. So maybe I will really explicitly tag this one, <laughs> just to see what happens. Um, and if, if show 16 never comes about, you kind of got your answer. <laughs> Should be the first time we've answered anything on the podcast. That's the Radio 4 moment I was promising. So there are activities that we perform day in, day out that are by definition private, but they aren't private because we're doing Mm. them out in the open. Generally, it's not being tracked by any one individual. So I guess in meat space, the closest that you might get, which is, I don't know whether this is international, but it definitely feels British, is when you spot someone you know and you don't want them to spot you back. Yeah. Now, I do this with you all the time. <laughs> do you? <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. But um, sometimes it's just because you don't have the time for them, right? Mm. But sometimes it might be like someone that you don't, maybe you don't really like, but through some sort of association, you found yourself having to talk to them in particular situations. And you're kind of like, I don't want them to know that I'm in this town, this shop, hanging out with this person, those sorts of things. I guess that might then be a point where the privacy sort of curtain starts to break. It comes down to awareness, doesn't it? A lot of the time, it doesn't matter because all the people around you are insignificant to your activity. So it doesn't really matter. 
what other stuff would we expect to be private? Um, correspondence, general details about family and relationships and all those sorts of things are, again, things that are permission-based. They're not necessarily out in the open, but they are out in the open in a lot of ways through birth certificates, even the uh, electoral register, for example. You would be able to correlate family trees off that stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Again, it's like that's invading an area that you may well feel private, but that data is irrelevant unless someone in particular is searching for it. The thing with privacy is it only really becomes an issue when your activity, uh, your daily activity, your life is being accessed without your permission. This is going to sound really daft, but there's an old advert. um can't remember what it was advertising exactly, but where a guy goes into a chemist and asks for condoms at the counter, because I guess the condoms were only available behind the counter back then. I think so. And there ends up being a loud exchange between the guy behind the counter and someone behind the thing about the fact that this guy was buying condoms. Just a really casual thing that ends up humiliating the guy. Now, it's no secret that he's buying condoms, but you can reliably expect the guy behind the counter not to then blurt it out to everyone (laughs) else. It's like you said, it's an entirely trivial piece of data until it gets broadcast. It's not always about condoms. Condoms are just hilarious. If you're having a conversation with your boss about some sick time you're taking or anything really to do with your job that has a more personal bent to it, you know that he's going to have to report that to the HR department. You know it's not that data's going to have a life beyond the conversation you're having. There's an expectation that people are going to respect your dignity or your um, privacy, for want of a better word. Sure. Just out of curiosity, I wanted to check what aspects of privacy uh, are covered by human rights legislation or human rights declarations, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've checked out both the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights plus also the uh, European Convention But essentially, the article in the European Convention is quite similar, both in the letter and the spirit, to the Universal Declaration. So I'll only cover the Universal Declaration. This is going to be really quick. But again, it's just a useful kind of linchpin, useful definition to capture what privacy is. It's Article 12, and it reads, No one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home or correspondence, nor to attacks upon his honour and reputation, everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. Hmm. So there's a whole wide range of stuff that's actually being covered there, privacy just being one short aspect of that. The key thing there, however, is arbitrary. That covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? It really does. I know you have, I have, if anyone listening has uh, has watched The Wire, for example, um, there can be interference with privacy, but it's got to be signed off by a judge. It's, you know, it's got to be justified in law before you can do that. It isn't necessarily arbitrary, but it is an interference that's permitted. Yeah. Uh, there's an awful lot of other interference that is permitted um, that we aren't really always aware of signing up with Facebook or Twitter or um, a Tesco club card or with Amazon or anything like this, you're actually, if you go through those terms and conditions, you're actually giving the permission to analyse the data about what you buy and uh, the things that you search in order to provide a better service to you. Now, we sort of understand that 
even if it doesn't jump out at you in the small print, as you use the service, Amazon being the example here, it recognizes that you've searched something to do with Alan Partridge, then it's giving you all of these recommendations based on that. Um, you can sort of understand why they would do that and how it would benefit you. So again, that data is important and pertinent to Amazon, but because it's not having a detrimental effect, it's not interfering with how you get about with your daily life. It becomes useful, really, more than anything. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of a contract we enter into. We kind of enter, and that's the thing, I mean, that even comes down to our interpersonal relationships. Um, it certainly comes into, there's like a pact we make with our government, there's a pact we make with our uh, society, there's a contract we make. And with Amazon, we benefit from their service. We allow for a certain amount of tracking on our activity there. Yeah. And we couldn't really do anything about it because it's like, well, if they were a shop, we're on private property, they can do whatever they want to observe what we're doing while we're in there. Spoiler alert, we tend not to decide the topic right before we start. We give ourselves a few hours at least to not be completely empty of thoughts by the time that we start. <laughs> but completely by chance, there was uh, an article in um, Aon magazine, which will be in the show notes, by Ian Leslie called Too Much Information. Our instincts for privacy evolved in tribal societies where walls didn't exist. No wonder we are hopeless oversharers. And that article is 2,000 words long, It'll take you a few minutes to read it, but it is really interesting and, and it kind of skims over a little bit of history, um, both recent history and online privacy, and also how as humans we would have existed even 100, 150 years ago where um, we probably spent more time in amongst our communities. And so everyone sort of knew everybody else's business because... There wasn't really anywhere else to hide. You went home to basically eat and sleep and everything else was out amongst people. You know, we live a way more solitary lives than we did back then. I mean, even before we had cobbled streets and brick houses, and you can think even further back, human beings have always lived in communities and they've known each other's business. The further back you go, the more tightly knit and inbred it may have been even. Mm -hmm. But the concept of privacy may have existed, but it covered very little because so much of this information, so much of this personal data was just out there, was just shared. But then, of course, there wasn't anybody trying to do things with data that you didn't expect because, again, everybody was doing exactly the same stuff with the same data. So it's, it basically all equates to zero again. I, this kind of tallies a lot with uh, well, what I always thought was my idea, but I've since learned is is not just mine. That we psychologically are only really capable of dealing with the idea of knowing as many people and uh, engaging with as many people as you could normally reach with the sound of your own voice. So let's say 200 people. The, the sort of community that is manageable, it, this ties into lots of different things. Like this ties into when I see someone on Facebook. This is before you had celebrity fan pages and stuff. But when you see someone on Facebook and they have 2,000 friends and you know that they genuinely know all of those people and believe they are friends with them or whatever, when actually it's just everyone they've ever met. And you can't track that sort of community you can't track that sort of personal community around you an individual just isn't emotionally equipped to deal with that but that when things start to get sketchy in terms of uh, our expectation of privacy and our understanding of the way 
people behave, what people think is acceptable in a society, how willing people are to break the social contract with each other and behave in antisocial ways. It normally happens when you're living in societies or subcultures or whatever beyond that 200 people, which is like our entire lives now anyway and 200 is a completely arbitrary number it's just that i can imagine that if there was a room full of 200 people i could raise my voice loud enough to be heard in that room anything beyond that i would need some sort of help and most people would you know you'd need a microphone or something so it could be 300 or whatever if you're really loud if you're steven tyler of aerosmith you could probably manage 500 people i don't know (laughs) or you know the people who have really loud conversations on their mobile phones on trains or whatever i imagine they could probably muster a few more people than i can yeah let's say a human being can handle addressing a room of 200 people when the amount of people increase the way that you address them changes so even if you're doing what we do right now even if you're podcasting because you know that you have potentially an audience of thousands or hundreds of thousands that you're not going to say the same stuff than you were to a room of five so the bigger that audience gets the subject matter is going to change the things that you say are going to be more considered okay so all of what i'm saying is obvious except for the fact that the way that you and i and whoever's listening is acting on social networks are acting as if they're only addressing a small handful of people when in actual fact it's got the potential to be read by millions. No one's really acted like that before. We're not, we aren't equipped for it at all, are we? In that case, no wonder we're oversharing, because even if we tell ourselves this, we're not really factoring in the fact that anybody with access online can read what we're saying, and that we are potentially giving away parts of ourselves to people that we'll never meet in digital form in a way that we would never think of doing in person. As much as we tell ourselves it's amazing that we're able to communicate with the whole world, have have we actually figured out what that actually means? No, and I think we haven't had time to evolve proper emotional or intellectual coping mechanisms for this because really you're looking at when the printing press became widely available to people. Yes, invented by um, Steve Gutenberg, I believe. Yes, I think it was. Uh, so that would have been around 1980. Was it before his films or after? I think that's why he stopped making films. So about 1990. Yeah. So the printing press was invented in 1990 yes. uh, by Steve Gutenberg. And there was some dispute with Ted Danson for a couple of years, but I think it got settled out of court. Yeah, but it's only since then, so what, just a little over 20 years, that we've had to get to grips with this at all. Now, it takes probably hundreds of years, uh, maybe 300 years, for uh, a species to evolve to cope with anything like that sure evolution is a long process uh psychological evolution uh, just as much as any other and it takes hundreds and hundreds of years i think another issue that specifically comes out from the online stuff as well is is there's a permanence problem Hmm. there are things that happen in meat space in real life that aren't a matter of record that may only exist in the minds and memories of the people who witness it. And if that's a case of you saying something incredibly racist by accident or by design for humour, or even if you Mm. genuinely meant it, you may have only had a small audience. And that only really, the record of that, only lasts as long as the memories last and would only actually last as long as the reliability of those memories would last. Yeah, uh, the, the most 40 people in a pub beer garden... Uh, who misinterpret something you said about Oscar Schindler and decide you're hugely anti-Semitic. 
Yeah, that's always a dodgy area, isn't it? If someone accuses you of being uh, anti-Semitic, that's sort of you done. Off to the chamber with you. (laughs) Um, And it's gone, and it doesn't matter. Even if it's an autobiography or a biography or or a collection of essays, they're they're only as significant as the person that wrote them. So Mm -hmm. if they were kind of existed in printed form, but no one really gave a toss, and they just sort of rotted away or got pulped or, or, or whatever, again, it disappears. Whereas there is the potential for as long as any of these online businesses last, well, even beyond that, because um, they'd be cached for searches and stuff like that. So depending on how many firewalls are are between the online service and the search engine scraping this information, you've potentially got what seems like a tiny, insignificant nugget of your life that is going to be accessible for as long as there is electricity. Hmm. I don't know whether we'll really know the significance of that in our lifetimes. This may, in the long term, be really significant in understanding the human condition. But in the short term, it causes a problem, as you said earlier, specifically for job applications. And also people in work, to be honest, because you can say something which you believe is innocent or private, and then someone can see that, make a complaint, and before you know it, you've lost your job. Yeah, and I think the thing is that everyone's always kind of left a data trail, but it used to take an effort to find out much about a person. Like, beyond getting their two references from someone they used to work for, you'd have to get a private detective or something. Do you know what I mean? You'd you'd have to spend an awful lot more time with someone to work out who they are and what they're like than most employers really have the time or patience or interpretive skills to really go into. Whereas now, any idiot can do a Google search. And that means that a lot of the time, idiots are allowed to do Google searches and then completely misinterpret what they're seeing. Um, I'm not forming a a case for the defence for anything in the future. (laughs) If I can't rely on people who've known me for a really long time, even if there are only people who've known me on Twitter or whatever for a really long time, to necessarily know when I'm joking, then there's absolutely no way a potential employer who maybe is only doing a skim read, maybe isn't that clever anyway, isn't going to think I'm a smug, elitist, racist, homophobe from like just five minutes looking at my Twitter feed. And I don't know what I can do about that, to be honest. We accept that there's a certain amount of privacy that we will lose in payment for living around other people, getting to share in this environment we're in. We get to drive to places once we actually eventually pass our driving test, (laughs) uh, which uh, I failed to do a second time. Um, Third time's a charm. I passed on my third. Oh, excellent. Well, that's good news then. And that's the good thing about uh, me failing twice has enabled an awful lot of people to acknowledge publicly (laughs) that they failed (laughs) that they passed on their third time which is quite good but for us to drive on those roads the deal we enter into is that other people are going to be on those roads as well otherwise those roads wouldn't have got built in the first place the cars wouldn't have been built it's a bad example it's just i'm looking out the window and i can see a road you know i get to live in a place where i'm within walking distance of the shops and part of the social contract i enter into to do that is there are other houses close enough that people can look into my windows if i don't pull my curtains that ties much more into the privacy thing actually Actually, I can't control people hearing me having an argument if they're in the house next door, just like I can't control them buying a drum kit and playing it loudly while I'm trying to record a podcast, which I think might have happened earlier on. 
And once you start thinking that I should be entitled to complete privacy, you're starting to fuck with that social contract a little bit. The only way that you could get anywhere near complete privacy is to wipe yourself off the face of the earth Mm. or become very rich and buy your own private island. Some people will know where that private island is and some people will know how much you paid for it, but it's your island. How many people can do that? Not very many of us. Richard Branson, maybe a few others. But yeah, you're right. Every day is a contract. It's how much permission have you given to the rest of the world knowing what you're getting up to. If you're the kind of homeowner that doesn't have net curtains in your living room window and you like to keep your curtains open during the day, well, someone's going to look in that window and look at the nice TV you've got. And then you're just basically trusting whether they're going to steal it or whether they're going to go, that's a nice TV, I wonder if I can buy one of those myself. Well, we just have to trust a lot of the time. And I think that's really where it breaks down. I'm thinking of that we can't necessarily trust, the, that we get into the thing where we don't trust the people who live around us to not rob our house or we don't trust our our government or we don't trust our law and that's a completely separate issue from whether or not our data our information is private in the first place i'm thinking of a particular example i used to work at a college and we used to have campus cards Hmm. the college had an inclusivity agenda which meant it had lots of kids from underprivileged backgrounds there was a lot of theft there was always a potential of fights and stuff like that breaking out so it had to be quite a secure environment A lot of people complained about the fact that you had to show your card when you walked in to a security guard. But the other option was that all of the computer equipment that was bought, as has happened more than once, could walk out the door really, really easily. Or you'd be constantly dealing with students who were supposed to be there being attacked by people they knew from their community coming in from the outside who weren't supposed to be there. I mean, it wasn't completely brutal, but there were enough incidents that I really agreed with the idea that people should have these cards. At the same time, as an employee for a big company, you understand that it makes sense for them to have you on record somewhere. That's how you get paid. But also, if you understand that if your colleagues were doing something dodgy, it would make sense for there to be a record of it somewhere. Now, it turned out not everyone had a campus card. Not everyone was on this system. Nearly everyone was, but not everyone had a campus card. So there was an initiative to get everyone up to date. And during the course of this, because I worked in the library and we ended up being responsible for taking the photos for some reason, I think we were just the only... The only department that didn't say no to doing it, basically. And because we were the library, for some reason, they trusted us more to keep track of all of the information (laughs) than than the HR department or someone like that. We found during the course of this, there were loads of people who didn't have their cards, but the college knew who they were. And they were on the payroll and stuff like that. There was some guy who was like a technician in one of the workshops somewhere. So he was in contact with students and everyone we discovered he didn't have a card. And then we discovered that there didn't seem to... I don't know how the guy got paid, or even if he did get paid. There wasn't a record of him on any of the computer systems. So maybe he was on payroll somewhere, but he wasn't on any of the other systems. When he was called in to get his campus card photo taken, he was refusing. Because in the end, what it turned out was he didn't want his photo on a computer anywhere. So we had to take his photo, print the campus card up, and then with him round next to us, and this, uh, his boss and he and HR and our department all had to get together and consult on what we were going to do with this. So we took the photo, printed his card out. He had to go round to the computer and watch us as we deleted his photo. (laughs) 
I understand being cautious about that stuff. But this guy was going to work in this place every day. He was taking a pay packet. There's a point at which you become the guy who is scared of his image being on a computer because what? It's going to steal your soul? But it does become a bit tin hat, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't really understand how, how no one noticed the tin foil hat, to be honest, because it's that sort of behaviour. And I think that's the problem. I think this is part of what, what I was saying about us not quite um, having evolved enough in the last 22 years. So we either become really laissez faire about sharing everything because that's how we're wired to. But normally you have to, you kind of trust the people that you trust with certain things and you hope they're not going to screw with you but otherwise we're not quite happy to to share quite a lot or you become this person who's constantly terrified of what's going to happen with your data you have to keep an eye on not becoming the guy with the tinfoil hat who doesn't want his photo anywhere on the system because that guy's a lunatic He's not part of society. He's, <laughs> he's he's not functioning. Way to cast him aside. Well, okay, he's not a lunatic. He's ignorant. And I think in, in a lot of these cases, if you're concerned, the information's there for you. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are 100% protected, but if you're genuinely interested in who does and doesn't have a record of your activity, you do actually have some control over that. To the extent where if he really didn't want to have his photo stored on a database, then don't work somewhere where they need to store your photo on a database. It limits your choices, but it just comes down to a little bit of knowledge and understanding. The communities of old, where everybody knew everybody else's business, where you're all very closely knit and you shared all this information, because there were benefits to that. Everybody knew you. Everybody knew how to communicate with each other, take care of each other. It didn't matter whether you were related or not. You could look out for each other's concerns. It strengthened the community. It strengthened the group. And as much as individual people like to think they can function by themselves, we all need at least one other mm. to, to get us through life. So in those days, yeah, okay, we may have misbehaved, but privacy wasn't a big deal. So how did privacy come about? Now, the concept of privacy must have come about through perhaps more nefarious uses. I'm not suggesting that is the invention of privacy, the fact that you did something bad and you don't want other people to know about it, or that you have something to hide but there is something about an individual and their relationship to the community around them that makes them feel like they don't want or need to be as involved. Now, I will briefly theorise, if you came into money, you would want to distance yourself from people who didn't have as much, maybe because of class, maybe because you didn't want other people to be near or have access to you and your wealth. Uh, you wanted to separate yourself. And that, that may have been, say, the first step in uh, a breakdown in community. Whereas now, for example, villages perhaps, but certainly towns and definitely cities where it's full of disparate individuals and we've got houses converted into small flats and we don't even know the person that we live next to. And so this kind of this privacy thing sort of gets ramped up because we don't really know anybody. If we did, maybe what we got up to wouldn't really matter anymore because we'd just be chatting about what we got up to. Hmm. Because we don't know anyone around us anymore, maybe that also causes an issue. But specifically, not really targeting on rich people wanting to separate themselves. But again, we're talking about celebrities. We're talking about people who have become notorious, who have become famous for being good at something or doing a significant 
job. So singers, songwriters, artists, actors, business leaders, uh, world leaders, all sorts of people like this, who in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights are entitled to exactly the same privacy as the rest of us. But their privacy is thought to be tiered. And this is, again, something that came out of the Leveson Inquiry in the case of uh, Steve Coogan, Hugh Grant, people like this. There are activities that they are doing that are really their business and no one else's. But because of the vague concept of public interest, that invasion of privacy becomes justified because it's important the rest of us know this. Now, as we sort of touched on earlier, really, the importance comes down to selling more papers. And if you put that on the cover of a paper, you're going to sell more papers because people like gossip. Yeah. It's, not, it's not news, but gossip sells. Salacious stories sell. But where's the contract? As I said earlier, when we sign up to an online service, it's there in the small print. Let's pick an actor as an example. When you start out and you're learning acting and you're doing small parts in um, theatre productions, perhaps touring theatre productions for very little money, breaking into acting because this is the thing that you love, that you haven't signed a contract there and then that says people may be interested in you and will sell information about you that you don't really want known. It doesn't happen. No, that's true. There's no knowing at that point in your career whether you will become a highly successful multi-millionaire Hollywood face seeing the world over or whether you'll just be working in theatre and, and happily doing whatever you do. There's no knowing what's going to happen. Because there isn't this contract, it becomes intangible that people can decide what is in the public interest or what isn't. And specifically in the Leveson case, and I cannot remember his name right now, but there was one journalist in particular who just seemed to be the physical embodiment of red top tabloids and felt that people who had become famous for being good at what they do deserve to have their lives intruded and invaded mm. more than other people. Because they were successful, they had become aspirational figures, they had become role models, and so they had to set a good example. And if they did anything which contradicted that, that becomes interesting to the public. If they broke the law, that's in the public interest. But if they're just doing something that they would do in their private life or they would do kind of outside of their career, why do the two things correlate? No one sets out to become a role model. No. They set out to do a job, and if they become really good at their job, people will look up to them. But there's no point where they sign anything that says that they must be the most virtuous. Per We're all trying to be fucking virtuous. Hmm. Why is it more significant for them? We've got all of those Aesop's fables and all of the old Bible stories and stuff, all the cautionary tales to stop us going off with strangers and a whole bunch of other stuff, but we don't really have any on fame, despite the concept having existed for a few hundred years. Mm. But the problem with the tabloid guy's point of view is it's kind of seductive. I think there is a level at which the idea of the loss of privacy and the idea of fame, they're both completely unnatural concepts and they've got a symbiotic relationship with each other. Whether the tabloids are involved or not, I don't know, the real creepy thing is the cold-blooded mercenary nature in which the, the media exploits the situation. But the truth of it is... I know all of the counter-arguments, and I'm trying to tread really carefully through it. You could be an actor on stage, and most people wouldn't ever know you existed. There is a level at which fame is such an unnatural thing that it's like Batman 
and all of the villains in Gotham, you can't control attention. Once you've got it, it's very difficult to control it. Once you've got that amount of it, it's kind of a torrent, and you're relying on people giving a shit about you, and you can't control how those people give a shit about you. Mm. You are entitled to stay safe. Uh, Maybe there's a situation where someone can be uber-famous and somehow also avoid millions of people giving a shit about them. I can't think of an example, though. And once millions of people give a shit about you, you can't control which millions of people give a shit about you and which side of your nature it is they want. Because the problem with our societies are we are drawn to the seedy stuff. It's kind of disgusting that our media do it, and I don't want to say... I I don't want to be the guy saying, well, you know, if you decide to be famous, you're going to end up having to deal with a certain amount of this stuff. But at the same time, it's difficult to imagine people not having their eyes open to it, and that's kind of the contract. There's a theme that keeps coming up, which is trust. Yeah. It's a case of entrusting in other people and other organisations information data about us so this concept of privacy if we're sort of struggling to see if it exists and maybe almost come to an agreement that it doesn't is this really more a matter of misplacing our trust being the issue than it being of privacy i keep pulling it back to the personal but the one example i I keep almost getting to and not quite managing it is if some person we don't really know like some colleague or our boss or someone says something inappropriately personal about us in front of other people we are annoyed by it and maybe even get litigious about it but we're never as badly hurt by that as when a friend does something to us that we're not expecting that betrays a trust yeah and part of the reason for that is that friendships are one of those contracts that we enter into willingly and we normally think pretty hard about it before we do it we think pretty hard before we tell someone something that's private that's a secret when they do something with that information that we feel betrays us wasn't part of that contract that can take decades to get over because it hurts us because we cared about them but also it hurts us because we feel that we made a huge error of judgment in trusting them in the first place I'm not sure if that's what you were getting about, about misplaced trust. But it's kind of a lot of the time when it comes to more faceless institutions that we end up entrusting with our information. It is misplaced trust sometimes, but sometimes that's because we don't even realise... The vast majority of people don't even look at the terms and conditions. Exactly. You know, you, you take yeah. skim read. I am normally vaguely aware of it, or I've or I make a calculated decision that I don't care that much about what they do with the information, the specific information I'm giving them. But most people go onto Facebook or wherever, and they don't even think twice about it. Most people don't understand cookies, even though now every website has to tell you that it's collecting them, which yeah. is really annoying. People misplace their trust in these systems a lot of time, but that's because they don't often even understand that they're well, that's, doing it. That's exactly it. There's various definitions, isn't there? It's like, and that's what I intend by it, is the misplacement of trust doesn't necessarily mean that your trust has been betrayed, but that you've placed your trust without understanding what that contract is, what's involved in the placing of it, in which case it's still misplaced. You haven't really understood your side of the bargain. Yeah, no, that's, I, I definitely think that's the case. There's that other wing as well. It's like specifically when it comes to Facebook, you go, okay, I'm going to sign up and I'm, and I'm placing my trust in this and I understand that there are privacy controls, but then the goalposts keep changing. Yeah, which is hugely which, problematic. Which is problematic and frustrating and is obviously done so Facebook can better serve its investors and advertisers, but makes it harder for the user to feel safe now there are going to be plenty of users that don't even think about it 
you know, might not mm. even be aware of it. And obviously Facebook will play to that advantage because any new controls that they bring in are often set more in their favor than they are in the users. That's sort of another aspect of, of meeting in the middle between the two, really, where you kind of at the beginning, you place your trust and everything seems OK. But then later on, the terms change, mm. which actually isn't that isn't that different, is it, from placing your trust in a friend, for example, with a sensitive piece of information. But then you and the friend falling out a few years later. And again, the terms have changed. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. I mean, I, I choose to believe that when it comes to individuals, people should make an effort to respect the initial terms. In terms of Facebook, it's interesting because I was just thinking that the vast majority of people who get pissy about this stuff would probably be happy if Facebook just made this stuff opt-in instead of expecting you to opt-out. Indeed. And it isn't just Facebook. It's nearly every tech web services company that that really does this stuff it's just facebook does it a lot and it happens to be one of the, the biggest probably but then thinking about it who'd ever opt in especially if the settings to opt in were as hidden as the settings to opt out quite often are the other side of that is of course that if you're trying to get new people to to join your service if everything was opt-in then they're not actually getting the service yeah or it's certainly harder for people who are new to understand how everything works if the first thing they've got to do is switch a whole bunch of switches on once you're there and you're signed in then definitely anything else that comes along should be opt-in but if you had one where you had a tick box for every single opt-in service or opt-out data gathering thing that they have, a decent percentage of people would never, ever bother with a Facebook account. It would just be too too tedious. There's too much friction there. Yeah. You know, the reason they have so many people using it is you literally just jump on there and you've got an account straight away. I feel a bit sorry for Facebook now. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how Facebook wins, Steve. I just don't know. If privacy doesn't really exist as its own thing, and if it only becomes an issue when we've misplaced our trust, does that mean that anything that is left that we could still consider or term as private, does that mean that those things that are left are just actually not interesting? Yeah. So is that the difference? The things that we give away are the things we give away, and anything that's private has either been invaded because we misplaced our trust, or is totally and utterly insignificant. It's of no advantage to anyone. Yeah. I just thought of something, because I was thinking specifically about the sandwich thing about Twitter, because that ties into what you're talking about. Well, why would, why would I tell anyone what sandwich I'm having for lunch? Well, if someone noticed what sandwich I was having for lunch, and then they pointed that out to me another time, oh, are you having the tuna sandwiches again? I'd be like, it's a tuna melt, you twat. But, <laughs> but also I'd be like, well, maybe that's a bit weird. But it's actually not an important thing. I don't think I mind if bits of data like that are out there, because you're right, they're insignificant, they're not that interesting. And then I was thinking about Starbucks and them asking you your name so that they can stick it on the thing and people getting funny about that, because, you know, where does it end? Why don't they just take a sample of DNA when actually they just want to help give you your drink at the end exactly. of the thing? And then I was thinking, I can't remember a time when I've gone to a bar or a pub more than a couple of times and a bar person has known what it is I'm going to order. I can't remember a time when I've looked at that and thought, why the fuck are you remembering that stuff? That's personal <laughs> information. Why, <laughs> why are you storing that information, you creep? It's actually quite nice to leave that kind of trail sometimes. If the ultimate outcome of that sort of thinking is that the NSA get to look at all of my emails, I, I guess I'm kind of okay with that, as long as they're interested. 
What are they going to find in my emails? It's mostly spam that people are sending me anyway. Yeah, I know. They've got the odds stacked against them there straight away. First of all, the NSA have got to develop an effective spam filter. And, uh, well, that, they'd probably make a lot more money that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they'd be the first company that had developed an effective spam filter. Dare I say it, fewer people might be moved to terrorism if they weren't getting so much damn spam. Because that stuff's frustrating. Yeah. They're getting all the spam through about um, penis length or stiffness. And that's obviously the depravity of the West coming through to them. So that is the sort of thing you would be offended by and you'd want to rail against. Also, it'll make you really insecure. I can't think of anything that would make me want to strap a satchel of... Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's not confess anything, because they may be listening. Having a small penis and knowing that people out there know about it is probably quite maddening. And if someone came along and promised me that I might get to go somewhere where the people had so little experience of penises that my small penis... Like, say they told me that there were going to be a lot of virgins there. I might think that would be somewhere I'd want to go because I've got a small penis. The emails keep telling me I have. So are we conflating perpetrators of terrorism with small penises? I think I'm comfortable with that being out there. Yeah, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Hi. Hello? Hello. Oh man. Oh dear. Can you can you not hear me? Cowboys. Uh I can't hear anything. Hang on. Whoop whoop. What the hell? Technology, it's awesome. I didn't hear any of that. I I had a technical issue. I'm speaking the solid gold and you are missing it. Shit, I'm sorry. Um, I had a technical problem. Do you want to know what it was? No.